This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Jason Schneider. Jason is a veteran salesman, veteran fitness educator, presenter, and manager. He's a veteran business owner. He is an endurance coach, athlete, and adventure racer. He is a perpetual lost boy and a budding cookie entrepreneur. Jason, it is so great to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's such a special treat. I can't tell you how grateful I am. Yes, and speaking of treats, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that later. (laughs) But before we get to the special treats, this is the part of the show that we talk about the song that best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today. So, Jason, what is the song? That best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today. Can I get a drum roll, please? It is Tears for Fears Shout. And I will say when you asked me to pick one, I literally went right back into growing up during the 80s. And there was just so many songs that kept resonating with me. But Tears for Fears Shout by far is probably one of the strongest from my memory. Yes. And you know what I love the most about the process of this podcast and learned it from an 80s song? It is like this little labyrinth or, you know, once you or you open Pandora's box, because once you start going in, it's like, oh, but that song. Oh, but this one. And the next thing you know, you've listened to, you know, hours worth of 80s songs. And and from what I hear from the other podcast guests, it's been a really fun process. Mm-hmm. It has. It was, like I said, it was a, a very fun process and one that I just didn't want to pick. Just This is going to come back a little bit later, but it's like cookies. Don't make me pick just one. Yeah. I don't have a favorite, but, but I picked oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I did a little research on the song and uh, shout Tears for Fears. Such a great song. And it is from their album Songs from the Big Chair. And it came out, actually, it was released in November, it's November 19th of 1984. And uh, it became number one on the Billboard charts in 1985. I love the quote and I love the history behind this song. One of the writers of the song, Roland Orzabal. One of the lead singer, guitarist, bassist from Tears for Fears. (laughs) Yes. So here's a quote that he said. This is regarding the song. He said, a lot of people think that Shout is just another song about primal scream theory, continuing the themes of the first album. It is actually more concerned with 
political protest. It's such a powerful song, and it's so interesting if you look at the 80s and the Cold War, how this song really is about history. And um, yeah, great song choice, Jason. Do you, do you know when, when you listen to a song, oftentimes you don't understand what the history, what the writers were thinking behind it. It's what it means to you. Yes. Um, people ask me all the time about my tattoos and all, what all my tattoos mean. And the truth of the matter is, it's what it means to you. And at the time when that song came out, I think I had maybe mentioned to you when we talked, it was just a really pivotal time in my life. Uh, I was just entering high school. So do the math. You can figure that out. I was discovering a lot about myself, my sexuality, my popularity, where I fit into society. And I grew up in just the most understanding, welcoming family. But there's just, when you're at that age, there's just so much self-questioning and doubt and wanting to belong. You, the mother of teenagers, you know this, wanting so badly to belong, but at the same time, wanting so badly to have an individual voice. Yes. And that song was so pivotal to me because I was struggling with realizing the truth about my sexuality, realizing the truth about maybe I'm not the most popular kid in school, but at the same time, I wanted so badly to be recognized and noticed and appreciated for what I did bring to the table. So whereas Roland Orzabal says that it wasn't about necessarily the primal scream, for me, it absolutely was. And I think for most listeners at the time, it was about that primal scream. It was like, listen to me, listen to me. I'm right here. And I yes. may not conform to what you want, but this is what you get. Absolutely. Yeah, very deep. <laughs> it is so deep. And, and I love that you're bringing up exactly, you know, I didn't know the history behind this song either. And I too interpreted it in a similar way, you know, um, uh, for me, it was more of like a letting go when I, you know, when I like let it all out, let it go, uh, like almost like a clearing or, so I, I love the, the story that's behind it for you. Can you tell us more about your story here? Whew. You know, going back and trying to relive your teen years is going to be difficult for almost anybody. Yes. Uh, for me. You know, I grew up and, and my family and my siblings, uh, I had a blessed life, um, mm -hmm. very supportive, very tight-knit family. And I think back to my high school years, and I had an amazing group of friends, and it was just some of the most fun years of my life. But it also, again, I said, it's a struggle. It's a personal struggle. Yes. That this is what you want, but this is the reality of it. If somebody was to ask me today, were you popular when you were in school? I was like, I would like to think I was, but I wasn't. Was I cool? I'd like to think I was, but I wasn't. You know, there was just so many things. But at the same time, and you ask about my story, is I feel like high school is my formative years. And right. what I learned in high school is you may not be the best, but it's more about the fight you have in the game. It's, it's not, in my world, it's not necessarily about winning. It's about how hard you fight for it. I will always applaud somebody who works so hard, even if they win or even if they don't, I will applaud somebody who just puts their effort into it. So I think that's what I learned in my high school years is it's not about being the best. It's about doing everything you can and putting your all into it. 
Yes, I love that. Love that. And, you know, it's interesting for you as an athlete, you know, as I mentioned in the intro and an adventure racer, it's so interesting to hear your mentality um, behind it. It's really about the practice and the work that goes into those adventure racing Mm -hmm. and the races that you're in, less about the finish line, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. People ask me all the time, like, so are you pro? Have you been on the, the, the podium? And there are races where I've done very well in my age group and I've raced for the podium and I have a closet full of uh, awards and a closet full of medals, but that's not what it's about. The, the training, which is very much why it became a career path for me and close to 20 years of coaching and running a business of training athletes, but it was more about the journey. Oh gosh, the, I apologize. I'm not a weepy emotional person, but I get a little emotional with this story, which is right. when I first, I got into running because of my parents. When I was in high school and I was overweight and not an active kid, I was the kid of the generation of MTV and video games. My parents ran the inaugural um, LA Marathon. And I went out and watched them. And I remember them coming into the last mile, eating French fries, watching them and going, hell, if they're going to do it, I should be able to do it too. And I joined them uh, like the next year to do the marathon. And that was sort of the start of my running journey. But with triathlon, that was because I got into it because of cancer. And I just was... So many people around me were being affected by cancer. I'm going to try not to take up the entire amount of time with this, but no, please, so many people don't. were <laughs> so many people were being affected by cancer, and I felt helpless. My mother had cancer. My uncle had cancer. My grandmother had cancer. It was just all around. Good friends, um, Petra Colbert. You know Petra Colbert. I mean, yeah. I just it just was killing me that so many people I knew were being affected, and there was nothing I could do. So I decided to raise money. That was the best thing that I could do. And I decided to do it through my first triathlon. I can cycle, I can run, and I sink like a fish, like a proper rock. <laughs> and that was a real big challenge for me. And what I didn't realize is that what I loved about triathlon so much was all shapes, all sizes, all ages, all abilities. It's not about the best athlete. It's not about winning in my in my book. It's about the people that are going to come out and just do it no matter what. And after my first race, I was so hooked. I remember going to a race down in Solana Beach in Southern California with some of my triathlete friends. And one of my friends had a flat tire and we were sitting by the finish line and the very last people were coming in and they kept announcing about this runner, Frank, one a racer who is 82 years old. And he's still out on the course. If people would stay and cheer him on, please stay and cheer him on. So me and my friends decided we were going to wait for 82-year-old Frank to come in. And here comes, and this is a little sprint triathlon. The very last person to cross the finish line to get weepy, bent over, barely shuffling along. I mean, he was just hunched like this little old man, huge smile, just arm just thrusting in the air. And that moment, I realized, it was more about the fight. It was more about, see, I, really, yeah. I get emotional with that because yeah. it's not a matter of if you can, because people all the time will say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm like, that's bullshit. Sorry, I curse. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. It's about if you're willing to try. Yes. I don't care if you are uh, disabled, 
blind, elderly, overweight. It doesn't make a difference. I've worked with all of those athletes. And guess what? Ironman, adventure, distance running, it's more about their heart and their willingness mm. than their athletic ability. Okay, that was my, that was my I story. I love <laughs> Yes, beautiful. And I, you know, there's so much humanity behind your work as a coach, your work as your work as an adventure racer. I mean, there's so much passion. And so interesting that it was your parents seeing them do that LA marathon. And I'm doesn't sound to me unless they were very, very young parents, they probably were middle aged at that time. Mm -hmm. And to see that and then be inspired by them and then coupled with taking then this, you know, skill that you have and putting it then to amazing work and raising money for cancer and cancer research. And so incredible, such a great story about perseverance. It's about the work behind, like what you had mentioned, it's all the work behind it. The heart. It's so much about the heart and the mind. It's amazing you know, you hear stories about maybe somebody who's a double amputee or maybe somebody who's blind and they play football and they run and they do triathlons and they swim. And when they're interviewed, they're like, you must have been up against so many challenges. And they say, you know what? I was raised in a household that never said I couldn't, but always said, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And that's just always, always been my mantra in life. Uh, with my adventure racing, going to the North Pole, going to the South Pole, going to racing through the jungle, racing seven days across the Sahara Desert. It wow. was never about if I could. It was all about my absolute desire to just keep going. That's life. That's my mantra in life. Yes. I remember when you did the uh, desert race that it must have been. I remember you talking about, I remember you training for it. Also, so such so incredible uh, what you did, yeah. really amazing. Thank you. Now, one thing I want to talk about are you know these obstacles, whether it be you know dealing with your sexuality and all that came with that in your high school years, and then also you know making the changes in your life, your own personal <laughs> growth, and your many careers that you've had, and the hard work that you've done with the adventure racers. You know, look at adventure racing, and I'm looking at the strengths that you have and um, that you've had all along. And I know you took the VIA strengths assessment, and it would be great to hear your perspective of how your top strengths really resonated with your story or, or which ones really kind of stuck out for you. <laughs> Those tests always make me giggle a little bit because. You, you you read these questions and somehow you feel a little bit guilty about answering. You're like, oh, this is so, you know, conceited of me or so egotistical of me to answer this way. Like, think of these things about myself. So obviously, I am. I think I'm self-deprecating a lot. And I think I am my biggest critic. But taking that test, obviously, something floated to the top. And I'm like, I agree with that, which is leadership. Leadership. I'm a bossy person. I like to take control. I've been known to say, if you are not going to put your effort into it, you're not going to do the work, then get out of the way and I will do it. And I've had to learn as a coach that you can support people and you can lead people 
and you can help people, but you shouldn't do it for them. And so as a manager, I always felt it was better to teach people so that they could then be self-sufficient and hopefully they could then do things on their own and they could improve. I should have been a parent. Maybe I would have been a really good parent, but um, leadership. Thank you. Leadership was one of the, the, the things that came up. I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it talked about the heart, the feeling, the, um, I can't remember what love. the exact word was, love, just because where I think a lot of times people that work with me find me to be somewhat stoic. I think I am a hard outer shell with a very squishy center. And I've special thanks to a very dear friend of mine, Angel McClendon, who helped me during the pandemic to actually get even a little bit more in touch with my emotional side. And I've really learned that I'm deeply, deeply emotional. Um, Maybe I was keeping it a lot to myself, but I care that much. I really, maybe that's why I am so driven because I care that much. Yes. Yes. You've got that passion behind it. You know, I just reflecting back because I know you, I can see how you might see that people perceive you with the hard outer shell, because for those of you who are listening, you won't see, but Jason is, he's an adventure racer. So therefore He's amazing, fit, athletic physique. So I can see that people might perceive things a certain way. <laughs> that being said, and this is, this is one of your strengths, uh, is kindness. And for me, kindness for you came through loud and clear. And I feel grateful for that. And um, having been managers together, I really feel that came through loud and clear. Uh, you know, Thank you. I liked your leadership style. You're very firm. But to have love coupled in with the leadership and have kindness coupled in with the leadership, it really felt like you could continue to, you know, keep it, lead a team and yet make them feel supported in the process. So get things done, but have the, have it feel supportive in the process. And that is, that's a beautiful coupling. Thank you. You as a fellow yoga instructor, correct? You teach yoga? I teach yoga. I believe you do. Yeah. Uh, I went and got my yoga certification years back, mainly because I was just so impressed by yoga instructors as the best coaches on the planet. Anybody who can stand in front of 300 people and get them to wiggle their little toe on their right foot, I was just amazed at how they could do that. And in the journey of yoga, I remember my first day when the mentor asked me, Uh, what I was doing there. And I said, I came to be a better coach. I'm not spiritual. I'm not all crystal huggy. And she was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. Right. And, you know, we're months into it and I've got my heart outer shell. And one day something broke in me, Um, something snapped. And it was the day that we were going over the stiras and the uh, the sukha. And and I'm going to, I'm going to be bad on my terms, but um, we talked about Dharma. Yes. Your purpose. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about Dharma, the, the mentor really challenged us to really seek, like, what is our purpose in life? And so many of us are like, well, it's to be successful and it's to care for my family and it's to make a lot of money and it's to have a beautiful house and everything of that sort. And it came to me that my true Dharma is just to help people, just to yes. help people. And that could come in so many different ways, but that was also played into... Jason, you can't just do it for everybody else. You have to help people. You have to help them to help themselves. 
And that came into my coaching, my training, physical training, nutritional training, everything I do. Beautiful. Yes. Love that. A couple things I want to mention about your strengths, uh, because you have such a beautiful package of strengths. Uh, appreciation of beauty, of beauty and excellence. So when you were speaking, uh, we hadn't gotten to strengths yet, but I was like, oh, that's appreciation. I could spot the strength in you. And that is you appreciate the work behind things. So it's not appreciation of beauty and excellence is really recognizing the work that's done behind the scenes. So you appreciate the outcome but you know what it took to get there. And that's what you see. You see beyond that. And that is 100% appreciation of beauty and excellence, uh, seeing life behind things. I would never diminish winning because guess what? That takes a lot of hard work, Mm -hmm. but um, absolutely it's the the work that goes into it. I mean, we all should applaud and appreciate hard work when people really put their effort into something. And you know what? We can always come back and try again. <laughs> we can always come back and try again. And and I, and that's going to be a great segue into our, our next topic of conversation, the treats that you guys have all been waiting for. But <laughs> curiosity, I have to talk about curiosity because this is a great segue into your life's work, right? So if you look, and as I mentioned in the intro, Jason's done amazing things throughout his life, a lot of different career choices and pivots throughout his life. And that really comes down to curiosity. Uh, It's about really life engagement, learning about new things, wondering about new things and trying new things, right? And so this actually curiosity is really linked to uh, and connected to intelligence it's connected to life longevity, meaning in life, and then also good relationships. So curiosity is a great strength to have in your top five. And I got all this research, uh, just so you know, guys, uh, from uh, Dr. Nemec's book, uh, Character Strengths Interventions. So a lot of the research I get is from that book, and it's a great resource, especially for coaches. Now with curiosity, you know, during this pandemic, you started a new business and I want you to talk about this. And I want to, I, I want to know also how it came into your mind and what made, made this happen. So here's our treat. Okay. I'm going to add an extra word into that with curiosity, which is courage. Because again, I, I do tip my hat a lot to my parents. My parents were very courageous. Uh, they both at later times in life. My dad, who was supporting a family, three kids and a wife that was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and he decided to literally leave a very successful career to be a writer, a screenplay writer. And he had incredible success, and then he had some real tough times, but he stayed the course, and he never wavered. It, It was his passion. And I love this story, which is that once we were all grown and the kids were all out of the house in college, I was actually the youngest still in the house. Mom went back to school. And I remember her saying, I've had a blessed life. I've had a life filled with love and so much opportunity that now it's time for me to give back. And she went to school to get her master's in clinical art therapy. And then she became a doctor because she said none of her kids became doctors and there had to be one in the family. So she was Dr. Mom. And that was at 
55, 60 years old. And so I was instilled with the idea that it is never too late to follow your dreams and your passions. You just have to be brave enough. You resourceful people will always figure it out. Always. Victims won't. Resourceful people will. Yes. And I've been in careers until careers no longer served me. And I am a person who likes constant challenge and fits the curiosity in me. I want more and I want more. And once I see a dead end, then that doesn't serve me. That's again, like my adventure racing is I want to know what's around the next corner. I will continue to go one more mile because maybe I'll see something in a mile that I didn't see back here. And so that has led me, which is a complete divergence from everything that I've done, but not really, is cookies. Um, cookies. My, my new business of uh, M2O Cookies, which is M2O stands for made to order. And the whole thing is, of course, during the pandemic, we were all baking bread and we were all doing things that we weren't accustomed to doing. And I think that a big part of it, again, for me, was my developing a morning routine, which we will talk about. That involved meditation and involved listening a lot more to what's in my heart and what's in my brain. And when things got very quiet and I was just kept listening to the voices that were inside my heart, and inside my mind, I kept coming back to a joy that I've had all my life, which is I'm, I'm not a singer, not a dancer. You've seen me. I think you've seen me try to dance not pretty. (laughs) Uh, I can't draw. I I don't have that creative outlet that so many other people do. But when I'm baking, I feel like Picasso. I feel like I'm creating something. And I just love the joy of baking. And I've always, since I was a little kid, always been a baker. Baking is very precise, but you can do so many experimental things. And what led me to creating M2O was I know in my household, and like I said, I've never met a cookie I didn't like, but I know in my household, I'm a peanut butter fan. I am a fruit fan. I'm a white chocolate fan, an oatmeal fan, not so much a chocolate fan. My husband, he likes his chocolate, 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 more chocolate, put chocolate in peanut butter, put chocolate in oatmeal, right? And when you're in a household where people want different things, I realized I want what I want. And I was like, I wonder if other people want what they want. You know what I want? At 10 o'clock at night, I want a cookie that is fresh baked, warm, delivered to my house. That is exactly the way that I want it. And that sort of led me to creating this company, which is the scariest thing I've ever done. Yes. I have walked on the top of a plane, a thousand feet in the air as the plane did loose. I've done that before. This what? is scarier. Oh, God. <laughs> this is scarier. That's, that's terrifying. My stomach just dropped thinking about it. <laughs> well, okay. Here's what I can tell you about. First of all, I have had the absolute pleasure of enjoying your cookies. And I've had several, um, you know, small get togethers where I have ordered the cookies. And I can tell you every single person. And we had a variety. So every person was like, oh, I like the snickerdoodle or, oh, I, I need the chocolate mint. And, you know, and it was so interesting to see all the different tastes in the room. Right. And um, I will say your snickerdoodle is unparalleled. <laughs> like, no, your snick- it, that for me, like everybody 
we're all taste testing your cookies. I have a whole group of women. And they're like, oh, oh, Snickerdoodle needs to be his signature cookie. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I'll let him know. But I love the concept behind made to order. And the other thing I will say, speaking of appreciation of uh, beauty and excellence, looping that right in, is I, you know, see the work that's behind it. You know, you ask for feedback. Oh, what do you think of this? How did those flavors go? Like, you want to know. You're so curious about how others are thinking. And then your packaging is amazing. Like, they came in this beautiful box. And for those that are on YouTube, you can see it. And and it's hashtag eat me is. (laughs) And uh, the cookies are absolutely delicious. They are made to order. They can be delivered anywhere in the country. Via, I understand you had some struggles with uh, some postal services. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to say, but I will say yes. that the, the, what is, and I don't want to just, this isn't a pitch for the business, but what is challenging and I love is, from the point of curiosity is I'm learning so much because business is not my forte, law and legal. And I'm not starting a home baking cookie business. I am building a, I'll say global, that's I think big, a global franchise. I would like to think because somebody in New York and somebody in Florida and somebody in Australia and somebody in Switzerland, um, you know, everybody wants what they want. And why shouldn't they have that? So get the cookies that you want, fresh, delivered, warm to your door. So the the goal here is not a home baking business. That's easy. Building a franchise is scary. It is stepping out onto the ledge of a plane as you're going to go skydiving and you're like, please let the chute open, right? Please let the chute open. And I've taken that. I blew my life up, Patricia. You know that I blew my life up for this dream. And you know what? I'm okay if if I don't win. I'm okay if I don't win because I will learn a lot. And I'll come back and try again. But guess what? I might win. Well, guess what? You're winning. Let's try. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're winning. And I do, I want to tie it back to your mom and and how, you know, she made that decision to go into art therapy, which I don't know if you know, I studied art therapy. I I went to Pratt Institute and I went and got my graduate degree Uh in art therapy. So I really appreciate the creative process and and also with you and the cookies and baking is so much a creative process, especially what you bring to the table, making creations that people have never done. The fact that the s'mores cookie, um, mm-hmm. I tried to one time bake a s'mores cookie. It was a total disaster. And somehow, like the chemistry of it, you made it work so that the marshmallows didn't get burnt on your plate. And it's just that the creativity behind it and the curiosity behind it comes right into each yummy morsel. You have to, and I know you know this because I'm sure you've heard speakers and read books about this that say, you can't be afraid to fail. And I think every day I'm afraid to fail, but I'm willing to step into that. And a very good dear friend of ours, Amber, who is sort of my baking mentor, she said, it's just flour, sugar, butter. Okay, if you messed up. And part of my need to control and part of my need for wanting perfection is never wanting to mess up. But how are you going to improve unless you mess up? So I am all about 
uh, oh boy, I made the worst gluten-free cookies ever a few weeks back. <laughs> but, you know, this week uh, I made some gluten-free cookies and they're getting much better. So yes. you learn. You learn. It's just like that work behind the races. It's just like that heart. Like you had said earlier, it's, it's the passion. It's the heart you bring to everything. And, uh, and I know it's going to be hugely successful and I can't wait to see it all happen. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, you know, when thinking about your mindset, Jason, which is really, uh, unique and, and uh, I think our audience can really learn from you and everything that you put behind, uh, your racing, your cookies and all of that, what action item would you have for our audience here today? You know, I appreciate you asking me that because I would say everything that's happened in my career or in my many careers and in, in, in my life, they all seem to have a common thread. And that is uh, you can get so overwhelmed when all you're doing is looking at the finish line. When somebody says, I'm going to run my first marathon and all they can think about is 26 miles, how am I going to do 26 miles or their first Ironman? And they're like, 112 miles on the bike and two miles on the swim. I don't know. I'm going to do that. And as a coach, I used to always say, don't worry about that. Worry about your first mile. Just worry about today. Tomorrow will come, right? So get your first mile under your belt and then start to work on the second one. Because after about eight to 10 weeks, you're going to look back and you're going to be running 10 miles and you're going to be like, how did I get here? Right? Yeah. So what I learned from many, many just wiser, wiser friends than I have, than, uh, than wiser than me, as I mentioned, is during the pandemic, for me, who is such a go-go, I always have to be doing something. I don't like sitting idle. I don't know how to take a break, to pause and to listen. And I created a very, very, I want to say a very strict routine in the morning. And when I say strict, not strict like hard edges, but strict in that I will never let a day go by without following this routine. And that is, I wake up early in the morning. Why? Because when you wake up, for me, it was quiet time, but also waking up early in the morning. Uh, Mel Harris, there's a very uh, accomplished uh, speaker, Mel Harris, and she talks about when that alarm goes off, don't snooze, get out of bed, because that's the first thing that you've accomplished in the day. And you can feel really good about, I accomplished that one thing. And then I go downstairs and I make my cup of coffee and I put the fire on in the fireplace and I sit in the dark in with the fireplace and I meditate. And it doesn't make a difference in my meditation. It's five minutes, 10 minutes. Sometimes I need a good 20, but I meditate because it helps me to listen to me, not all the other chaos. I don't look at my phone. I don't look at my, but meditate because it helps you to get in tune with yourself. And then the next thing that I do, whether you're a journaler or you're an agenda person or a planner, I just sit down and, and again, before my emails and anything else, I set my goals for the day and my goals, especially with a new business, my mantra, just one thing. Just do one thing today, because if I literally sit and think about all the things that I have to do to get this business going, I'm going to go cry in the corner. There's a right. lot, and it's really scary. But if I just do one thing, and maybe that one thing is I am going to bake Patricia's s'more cookies and get those to her today, then that's an accomplishment. 
Maybe it's just a, a connection with somebody. So to put this very simple, it's about creating a routine that you can make a religion. Literally, it's something that you do without excuse every day. And the day that you don't do it, you'll see that things are off. So it doesn't matter whether it's meditation, maybe it's about your eating plan, maybe it's about exercise, but commit to something, a routine every day and stick to it. And you'd be surprised how clear and concise and it just helps you in life. It helps you in life. Love that. Love that. Audience, we have our marching orders from Jason. All of us are going to come up and, and, and I, it's all comes down to, like you said, that first mile, right? And it all comes down to that very first step, that one thing, it doesn't have to be big, small steps really are the ones that build on top of each other. So everyone, let's create a routine. I want to hear about it and uh, reach out, let, let us know how it's going. So before we wrap up here, uh, Jason, two things. I need to know in the 80s, did you have a Bad mullet? I, did you have a mullet? I actually, yes. I had a reverse, Patricia, if anybody ever finds these pictures, I will be mortified, but I had a reverse mullet. It was all party in the front and business in the back. Short hair in the back and my bangs came down below my chin. Yes. Awesome. All right. Next, I would ask you, uh, what was your, if you're looking in your closet in the 80s, what would be the one item that was your favorite? clothing, jewelry, whatever it might be? If I had to pick one, it would obviously be like my Federa foot, um, what do you call yeah. the, 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 I had a hat. The Federa uh, hat, yeah. Is it a Federa? Federa? But it was like a very classic, yeah. it looked like a grandpa hat that I found yes. at the Salvation Army. And boy, I rocked that tilted up, bangs out. I was Adam Ant meets Thompson twins. Like I was Love it. every... I thought it was amazing, but I do have to give an honorable mention to a pair of what I would call circus pants. They were like a mustard yellow, almost an olive green striped pant with suspenders, clown pant that I rocked, rolled up tight roll around the ankle. Of course, I don't know how people didn't beat us up in the 80s, but Man, um, amazing. Yeah, the, the, it was amazing. I, I got a great visual happening right now. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> but the, the hat, it was hat brown was everything with the, with the, with the with hair. The and oh I gosh, mean, it awesome. that was it. That was it. Okay. Last thing for our audience. How do we order your cookies? How do we get a hold of those beautiful things? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for asking. Obviously, if anybody would like cookies, and again, remember, this is all about customization. So it's what you want. And I'm happy to send you the information about that as our website is being built. Because again, this idea is about four months old. So we're yes. moving as quickly as we can. But if people would like to order, they can reach us at m2obakery at gmail.com. And it is m2o, the letter o, not a zero, m2o made to order bakery.com. Or follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is M2O uh, M2O Bakery. Or you can also find us at hashtag M2O Cookies. <laughs> hashtag eat me. Hashtag eat me. <laughs> hashtag uh, indulge responsibly. Hashtag fit people eat cookies too. Legit. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. Until next time. 
Yes. Thank you, Patricia, so much. I appreciate it. I love you, love you, love you. Love you. <laughs> it's so great to see you. All right. Have a great one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80s song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.